Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last spring I was walking on a trail looking at some birds in the trees. That's one of my hobbies, bird watching. And as I was doing this, a man came up and, and started talking with me. We talked about some of the birds and the animals in that area. And, and then I mentioned something about them being part of God's creation. And that started a conversation about God. This man told me he was an agnostic, meaning he didn't know if, if there was a God or not. And so we, we kept talking, and I don't remember exactly everything we said, but I do remember this. I remember him saying something to the effect of, if, if there was a God, he said to me, I would like to take his place for just a day and show him how to run the world. It's a rather shocking statement. I asked him what, what he meant, what, why he said that, and he, he said this was last spring, May or so, and he said, well, look at, look at Russia and Ukraine. If there really is a God up there, why is there all this, this suffering and death? What is God doing? I don't remember exactly how I answered. I, I remember telling him that, that suffering and death is, is not God's fault. It's, it's a result of man's sin. But, but that question, congregation, stuck with me. What is God doing? Maybe you've asked that question. I've asked it. I've asked it several times this past week. As I've looked at the news reports of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, the estimated death toll as of uh, an hour or so ago was 33,000. What is God doing? Yes, it's true that the cause of suffering and death is sin. And, and yes, it's true that, that many people who live, lived in these areas are, are, are people who don't worship God, who don't trust in Jesus. And so, yes, in a sense, we can rightly speak about God's judgment, although we should never, ever speak about that cold-heartedly. But even when we say all of that, the question is still there. And it wasn't just non-Christians who were killed either. If you read the note from Word and Deed in our bulletin, it tells us that a Christian pastor and his wife were killed. And no doubt more believers were killed. What is God doing? Maybe you've asked that question more personally in relation to something that has happened in your life, a sickness, a death, a betrayal or abandonment, a loss of a job or or something else. What was or, or what is God doing? Maybe you're here tonight and you're asking that question because of something happening right now in your life. You could be asking it in many different ways. You could be asking it in skepticism and unbelief like that man I, I talked to. You could be asking it in anger and in, in bitterness. You could be asking it simply in pain and in grief and confusion. What is God doing? And part of the reason that question is, is so difficult to answer, even for Christians, is that God doesn't usually give us a fully detailed answer to that question. The reality is that he's probably not going to tell us exactly what he's doing in Turkey and Syria. 
He's probably not going to tell you exactly what he's doing in your loss or in your sickness or, or whatever it is. In fact, on this side of heaven, you might never know exactly what he was doing, what he was accomplishing through your trials and afflictions. God doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't have to. But, but in his mercy and in his grace, he does tell us enough in his word so that we can trust in him, so that we can rest in his care and control in spite of the troubles that we have to go through. He tells us, congregation, about his providence. Two weeks ago when we looked at Lord's Day 9, we we came across this word providence, but we didn't focus on it because I, I said then that we're going to have Lord's Day 10, a sermon on that about it as well. And so this evening we hope to look together more closely at it, at what God says in Scripture concerning his providence. And I'll freely admit, congregation, that Although the the Lord's Day does speak about both sides of providence, the, 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 the acts that God does for which we can be thankful, as well as the acts for which we need to be patient in, my, my focus this evening is, is mostly on the hard providences, because that is usually where the questions about God, God's providence arise. And so we want to look at what God says then concerning his providence as it's faithfully summarized in Lord's Day 10 of the Catechism and illustrated also in the passage we read in Genesis 45, verses 1 to 15. Our theme, with God's help, is resting in the providence of my God and Father. Resting in the providence of my God and my Father. We'll look at its basic meaning, its universal extent, and its gospel assurance. First, it's basic meaning. And that's important, congregation, because the word providence, it can be one of those Christian words that we tend to use, but, but never take time to define. The school here in Monarch that many of you go to has the word in its name, doesn't it? Providence Christian School. But what is providence? We tend to use it only when something good happens. The rain comes just in time to to save the crops and we we say it's God's providence. And while that's certainly true, that gives the idea that, that God's providence merely means God giving us earthly blessings. But that's not what the providence of God means. In our King James Bibles, providence is actually used only once in Acts 24, verse 2. And there, it doesn't even refer to the providence of God. It's, it's talking about Felix, the governor Felix, what he does. So, so that text doesn't help us a whole lot. And that's why then question and answer 27 of Lord's Day 10 is so helpful. Because the question it, it asks there is this, what do you mean by the providence of God? And in the first part of the answer, we read this. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures. In other words, providence, congregation, is not merely God doing things like sending rain right when we need it. It includes that. But providence is much more than that. Providence, to put it very simply, is God in charge. Now, 
I realize maybe that's a little bit overly simplistic, but that's the basic meaning, really the basic meaning of providence. God in charge. And children, maybe that's something you can remember from this sermon. As you travel home tonight and your parents ask you, well, what, what is providence? Or when they put you to bed and ask you, what is providence? You can tell them, God in charge. God in charge. God teaches us about his providence. He teaches us that he is in charge really throughout the entire Bible. The Bible is a history of God in charge. It's the history of his sovereign acts. The Bible makes very clear that that God, the creator of the universe, is also the sustainer and the ruler of all things. He is in charge. The Bible teaches teaches us this over and over again. We, We see it already in Genesis 2. God not only creates man, he also, in Genesis 2 verse 15, takes man and puts him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And he gives him rules to obey. God was in charge. He didn't create the world and then just leave it to run by itself. Think of another passage, Psalm 104, which we sang from right before the the service. The whole psalm is really about this, this theme. God is in charge. Let me just quote to you a few lines. He, that is God, sends the springs into the valleys. He waters the hills. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man. And then later the psalm speaks to God directly. Thou makest darkness. These thy creatures wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. What thou givest them they gather. Thou openest thy hand. They are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face. They are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. And thou renewest the face of the earth. Do you hear it? Do you hear what the psalm is saying over and over and over again? God's in charge. God's in charge. God's in charge. He, by his almighty and everywhere present power, by his hand, as it were, is upholding and governing heaven, earth, and all creatures. God's in charge. And he's in charge, congregation, not just in a general way. He's in charge in your and my lives. We see this in the passage we read earlier in Genesis 45. When Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Now, children, of course, you know the story of Joseph. You, you, you know how his brothers hated him because, of their, fa- because their father Jacob, he, he loved him more than them. And, and because on top of that, Joseph uh, told his brothers that he had dreamt about them bowing down to him. And, and you know how when Jacob sent Joseph to see how his brothers were doing as they were taking care of the sheep, you know how they plotted at first to kill him, right? And then how they decided, well, you know what? Actually, let's make some money off of him. We'll sell him as a slave. You know how Joseph ended up as a slave in Egypt and even in in prison for a while for something that he actually never did. But now through, through several amazing events, he had become second in command to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
And his brothers had, had come seeking to buy food. And Joseph, of course, you know the story. He, he tests them. He wants to see if, if they've changed since they did what they did to him. If they were truly sorry, to see if they were truly sorry for what they had done. And, and finally, in the chapter before, the one we read in Genesis 44, we, we read of Judah's speech, urging Joseph to take himself as Joseph's slave instead of Benjamin. And that convinces Joseph, yes, they're sorry. They have changed. And he can't bear it anymore. So, so he reveals himself to his brothers. He tells them at the end of verse 4, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. He doesn't gloss over what his brothers did. He doesn't deny their guilt. But he also sees beyond it. He tells them in verse 5, Genesis 45, verse 5, not to be angry with themselves that they had sold him into Egypt. Why? Why? For God did send me before you to preserve life. In other words, God was in charge. And Joseph repeats this over and over again. In verse 7, he says, God sent me before you. And in verse 8, so now it was not you, he says it emphatically here, not you that sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And then once more in verse 9, when he's telling his brothers to go back to his father and to tell him, he, he, to tell him this, thus says thy son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Five times Joseph mentions God's activity. Five times Joseph refers to God being in charge. You see, Joseph understood providence. And Joseph rested. He rested in the providence of God. Why? Because the God of providence, the God who was in charge, was his God. Oh, what a comfort. What a comfort it should be just, just understanding the basic meaning of providence. The providence of God for God's people, for God's children. God is in charge. It's a comfort for God's people, but it's not a comfort to everyone. If you are here tonight and you are not trusting in Jesus Christ, then this doctrine of providence, of the providence of God, God in charge, isn't a comfort. It should be a terror. Unless you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, you see, you are under the holy wrath of God because of your sinfulness and sins. And that same God, the God that you are rebelling against, is in, char is in charge of your life. Not you. You may think you are, but you're not. God is. The Bible says that He holds your breath, your life in His hand. And He could choose to end your life and bring you before His judgment seat at any moment even tonight. What a terrifying thought God's providence should be to anyone here tonight who is unconverted. How it should bring you to your knees before Him, confessing your sins and pleading His mercy and His grace, pleading the blood of Christ. God's 
providence isn't a comfort to everyone, but it is a comfort to God's people, to those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. You see, when you are a Christian, when you, by grace, by the power of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit, have been reconciled to God by faith in Christ, God, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we learned two weeks ago, becomes, becomes for the sake of Christ His Son, your God and your Father. And what a comfort that is, because He, your loving and faithful Heavenly Father, is in charge, always. The things that happen in this world, the things that have happened and will happen in your and my lives are not random events. They come from His fatherly hands. Providence for the believer is my God, my Father in charge. Or to use the language of David in Psalm 31, providence is my times in God's hands. Isn't that something Isn't that something you can rest in, dear fellow believer? Yet if we're honest, most of us struggle with that. It's it's perhaps in a certain sense, it's, it's easy to rest in God's providence. It's easy to believe and accept that God's in charge when life's going well. It's easy in one sense. Although often when life is going well, we tend to forget that he's in charge. But but it's harder. It's harder to believe. It's harder to accept. It's harder to rest in. God's providence when things don't go well. And that brings us to our second point. We looked at the basic meaning of providence, God in charge. But now let's look at the universal extent of providence. Here notice what the answer to question 27 in Lord's Day 9 says. On the basis of Scripture, providence is the almighty and everywhere present power of God whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs, now listen, heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Do you hear what it's saying? It's saying that the providence of God is universal in extent. The providence of God is God in charge at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. He's in charge at all times. He was in charge in the very beginning of the world when he made all things. He was in charge when he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And he was in charge too, congregation. He was in charge too. When Satan came to Eve and tempted her to eat the fruit of the tree that God had told them not to eat. Yes, he was in charge also then. That doesn't mean he is the cause of sin. No, because he is perfectly holy and good. James 4 verse 13 says that that God, or James 1 verse 13 rather, says that God does not tempt anyone to sin. Or as Article 13 of the Belgian Confession says, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed. And so the providence of God does not mean he tempted Adam and Eve. But whether or not we can understand this, it does mean that he is in charge at all times. He was in charge during the fall. He was working out his sovereign purposes in and through that all. And he's remained in charge after the fall. 
And that's what Joseph also confesses. He doesn't look back at, at what his brothers did to him and say, God was absent. He doesn't say that after his brothers sold him into slavery, God had to come and fix things up. He doesn't say that, that what the brothers did somehow interfered with God's plan, that, that God, as it were, was, was, was maybe a witness to it all and simply wringing his hands in, in frustration. That's not what he says. No, he says God was in charge. Even when his brothers sinned by plotting to kill him and then selling him off as a slave, God was in charge the whole time. And not just when his brothers sold him, but also when Potiphar bought him. And also when Potiphar's wife tempted him to commit adultery and then falsely accused him because he refused. God was in charge when he ended up in prison. God was in charge when the butler forgot about him in prison for two whole long years. God was always in charge. He was fulfilling his perfect counsel and will. And that was Joseph's comfort. That was Joseph's resting place. In congregation, that should be our comfort and our resting place too. God is in charge, also still now, also in 2023. That enables us by grace to rest in God, to rest in his providence. And what does that resting look like? Well, if we go by our catechism, it looks like being patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and in everything that happens to us, putting our trust firmly in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love. He's in charge at all times. But is he in charge everywhere? Maybe you ask. What about in Turkey? What about in Ukraine? What about in Canada? Oh, beloved, the providence of God is not only God in charge at all times, it's also God in charge in all places. He upholds and governs not just Israel, not just a part of the world. No, he's in charge of the entire universe. There is no place, there is no home, there is no building, there is no city, and there is no country. There is no place that he is not upholding and governing. There is no place, congregation, where he is not in charge. The Lord reigns. We, we read that in the Psalms over and over again. He reigns everywhere. He's not a local God. He's the global. No, no, he's the universal God. In our family Bible reading at the supper table, we're, we're reading in Isaiah. And this week we came to Isaiah 36 and, and 37. And maybe you know what happens in those chapters, but if you don't, those, those chapters tell about how, how the king of Assyria, King Sennacherib, came up against Jerusalem and, and he warned Hezekiah in a letter that his God wouldn't be able to deliver him. He pointed to, to other nations that Assyria had conquered, nations whose gods hadn't been able to, to, to deliver and save. And he said to Hezekiah, you're going to end up just like them. And how did Hezekiah respond? He took the letter to the house of God and he spread it before God and he prayed, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel that dwells between the cherubim, thou the God, even thou alone of what? Of all the kingdoms 
of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Did you catch that? The God of Israel, Hezekiah's God, is the God of all the kingdoms of the earth. That was Hezekiah's comfort. That was his resting place. That was his pleading ground when he faced Sennacherib's threat. He knew the reason, you see, that Assyria conquered the other nations was because their gods were were no gods. But the Lord was the true God, the God who ruled and governed in all places. Hezekiah believed God was in charge everywhere. And, And Joseph believed this too. Where was Joseph? He was in Egypt, far away from Canaan, far away from the land that God had promised to his fathers. But when Pharaoh had his dreams and asked Joseph to give him the interpretation, Joseph told him that the dreams, he told him that the dreams were signs not of what Pharaoh's gods would do in Egypt, and nor even merely what would happen in Egypt. The dreams were signs of what God was about to do in Egypt. Joseph knew he rested in the providence of God because he knew it was universal in extent. He knew that God was in charge in all places. So yes, so yes, God is in charge in Turkey. He is in charge in Ukraine and in Syria and in Europe, in North Korea, in China, and in Canada. And so like King Hezekiah, like Joseph, congregation, we can rest wherever we are. If we are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can rest in the providence of God. God is in charge at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. The Catechism emphasizes especially this point, doesn't it? With that list of of various situations, herbs and grass, rain and drought, Fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And again, we see that in Joseph's life. God was in charge in the years of plenty, and God was in charge in the years of famine. God was in charge in Joseph's success in Potiphar's house, and God was in charge in Joseph's imprisonment. Everything Joseph experienced came from God's good and fatherly hand. Even though it wasn't all a bed of roses. And we see this for another example. We see it in Job, Job's life too. Yes, the blessings and the joys he experienced in his life were gifts from God. They came from God's hand. But so did the suffering and the sad things. Yes, Satan engineered it, as it were. He engineered, as it were, his suffering. But God was over it all. Satan had to seek permission from God. And God had his own purposes in all of it. It came, even Job's sufferings came ultimately from his fatherly hand. That's why Job confessed, no doubt with tears, no doubt with a shattered heart. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job was resting at that moment. He was resting at that moment in the providence of God. 
But that's where it gets hard, doesn't it? It's maybe easy to say that. It's maybe easy to rest in God's providence when the suffering isn't personal, when it's on the other side of the world. But when it hits close to home, it's hard. It's very hard. It got hard for Job too. And yet, dear believer, the truth that God is always in charge, also in our difficult circumstances, even in the most horrible suffering you could ever experience, the truth that God is in charge is a truth so full of comfort. Because if you are a believer, this God who's in charge is your God and your Father for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He always will be. And the circumstances then that he sends you, he sends in love, and he sends for a good purpose, even if we don't know what that purpose is. But you say, how can I really know that for sure? I I, I want that comfort. I want that peace. I want to be able to rest in God's providence, but it's so hard. It's so hard, especially in the middle of suffering. Well, that brings us briefly, very briefly yet, to our third and last point. The gospel assurance of God's providence. Question 28 asks the question, what advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? And the answer is this, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, And that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father that nothing shall separate us from His love. Since all creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. What this answer is doing, congregation, is teaching us. It's teaching us to rest in God's providence, also in all of our circumstances. But, 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 but why? Because, because God's providence, the reality that God is in charge in all our circumstances assures us of that wonderful gospel truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate God's people, God's children, from his love. Do you, do you follow that? If God's not in charge, if he's not in charge at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances, we cannot be assured that the gospel really works. We cannot be assured that God's love is present in our circumstances. If God's not in charge, you see, then he's not almighty. But you see, the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that God is in charge at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. And so, congregation, we can, yes, we must rest in God's providence because His providence, His being in charge of everything assures us that nothing shall separate us from God's love. It's because of God's providence that you, dear believer, here tonight, 
may be sure, even in the hardest circumstances, that God still loves you. He may be disciplining you. He may be refining you. But he still loves you. And how amazing that is. That though though we are still so sinful in and of ourselves, God loves his people. And how amazing that he shows us in his word that, that he is in charge so that we trust him, so that we would trust his word that nothing shall separate us from his love. How amazing that he does this for us. How thankful we should be, congregation, that, that he teaches us for that wonderful truth of God's providence, that God is in charge. Yes, above all, also when we think, when we think of what God's providence, God's being in charge meant for his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It meant, congregation, the exact opposite. It meant the exact opposite of what it means for us, for believers. God's providence for us means that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. But that's not what God's providence meant for Christ. God's providence for Jesus meant that he would be separated from the love of God. It meant that he would be hung on the cross and forsaken as he was made a sin, made a curse for us. That's what God's providence meant for Jesus. And it's only because Jesus submitted, he rested, he obeyed. It's only because Jesus willingly endured that awful separation from his Father's love that we can rejoice and rest in that providence. But the only way we can do that is by trusting in Jesus alone, by looking to him, the one who was separated from the love of God, that we might never be separated from it. Doesn't that make you want to say with Paul, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways, are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Our Father of love, who is so full of love, overflowing, everlasting love to your people, 
Because when your son was on the cross, you withdrew your love from him. We give thanks, O Lord, that you are in charge. We give thanks, yes, in all circumstances. And at all times and in all places. We give thanks in prosperity. And Lord, we desire to be thankful even, not for adversity, but in adversity. That you are working out your good purposes. And we desire to be patient. We desire, O Lord, to have that firm trust that your word calls us to. Help us to do so, looking to Jesus, looking to him, remembering that it's because of what he did. It's because of what he did. Because of your providence in sending him, that nothing shall separate us from his, from your love in him. Lord, we, we do pray that you would help us to appreciate this scriptural truth more in our lives. You would help us to remember it when we are enjoying so many blessings, as so many of us do. That we would remember it's from your hand and that we would be humble and thankful for these blessings. And that you would enable those of us who, who may be in trouble at this moment to be patient, looking to you, bringing their needs to you, knowing that you are in charge. Resting in that. That you would, O Lord, in your mercy, also grant deliverance out of their troubles. And as we pray for the troubles of individual people, we, individual Christians, we also pray, O Lord, that you would redeem your church out of all her troubles. We look forward to that day. Lord, give us patience then as we wait for the coming of Christ, when all will be made right and where there be no more hard providences, but it will all be blessing, where we will be made perfect in the robes of righteousness. Lord, we, we look forward to that day, and we ask that you go with us and help us as we think about these things, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, let us sing from Psalter 202, 202 all the verses.